I don't know about you, but having uh, five teens in the house, two preteens in the house, uh, and a nine-year-old, uh, lately we have had a number of moments of attitude. And uh, on Saturday morning, uh, we had the big flower and garden festival going on in downtown Winter Garden. So we said we're going to get out of the house uh, around 9.30, head down there, have an awesome morning there, and then head on to do some things in the afternoon that's going to be exciting for the kids, and then have a great evening together. Uh, to go and do some other fun stuff. So the morning began with me making waffles uh, like I usually do on a Saturday morning, and it did not go well at all. Uh, there were just multiple engagements between the kids and mom and the kids and me. There was just a lot of attitude that kind of reminded us that this has been going on for a little while. So my kids, uh, the, the majority of the attitude right now is this. When they are asked to do anything in the home that is not easy, I get the sigh, like, and then you kind of want to go, do you have any idea how much we do? We ask next to nothing from you, and when we ask, it's a big sigh. Then they don't do it cheerfully, they do it begrudgingly, and then they mention that. So I decided Saturday morning, it's time. We're going to sit down, we're going to have a talk. So I gather all eight the kids in the living room, Brooks right there, and I said, look, There's been a lot of attitude lately, and here's what's been going on. And I had this beautiful illustration that came to mind with bee stings. You know, you get stung by one bee. It's okay. It hurts a bit. You brush it off. Three or four bees, and that hurts a lot, uh, but you can get over it. But when you get stung a hundred times, then it overwhelms the system. The toxins take over your organs. You shut down and die. And I said, look, here's what's happening. In our home, you are stinging mom and I hundreds of times every day. So we have shut down, we have died, and so we are just screaming back at you. That's what's going on, okay? So we got to try to undo these bee stings and not sting each other so much and sting us so much, and we have this brilliant talk about it. The kids get it, they laugh a bit, the illustration goes well. We leave. We head down to the uh, flower and garden festival. We're enjoying some time there. There's two or three incidences that take place there with a bit of pushback. There's a cupcake incident that I'll tell you about later. That takes place. After that, we get in the car. They're all complaining because it's, they're thirsty and it's hot. And Why did we have to look at flowers and, and all that's going on? And I'm like, look, we were just trying to... And then I drive off and then it's suddenly 2 o'clock and we've missed... And the, the whole afternoon was a disaster zone of just kids complaining. And by Saturday night... One of my other kids had a massive episode with us, screamed and shouted at us, ran upstairs, slammed the door. I'm like, what just happened? Have you ever been in those situations in life where things are not going well? So you step in to correct them. You step in and you step in brilliantly. I mean, you walk out of that meeting with the, the team at work or you walk out of that meeting with a couple that are at odds or you walk out of that meeting between the kids and the parents and you just go... That's it. I mean, that got it done. And you can see the sparkle in their eyes. And like, yes, we have solved this problem only to have it completely derail minutes later, hours, days later. And you just go, what on earth just happened? I mean, the entire lecture totally wasted. Did you not hear what I said? Have you ever been there? I mean, I've been there. I'll tell you who else has been there. A man named Paul. Paul has been there. He has been what I, where I've just described. So we've been traveling over the last few months through a book called 1 Corinthians because it was the first letter written to a church in Corinth 
and we beautifully came to the end of 1 Corinthians. And it was a great journey, but I think like you, I was like, yay, we're through 1 Corinthians, we're through all of the corrective stuff because Paul was writing this letter to the church in Corinth to correct them when they, they were behaving foolishly in so many ways. And the benefit to us in 1 Corinthians was that it kind of gave us a beautiful view of what the church ought to look like. And it kind of helped us go, oh, that's how we do this. And so it was of great benefit to the ongoing story of the gospel. But at the same time, we're like, done with Corinth, where do we go next? Because remember, we are in the book of Acts historically. So we are traveling with Paul on his journeys. We're in Ephesus. Paul wrote the letter from Ephesus. So you would expect, as I would expect, that now we would jump back into the book of Acts. We would go from Ephesus and we would keep following Paul. That would make sense. Except that we're not going to do that. We're going to jump right into 2 Corinthians and here's why. Because Paul had to jump into 2 Corinthians because 1 Corinthians didn't go so well. See, 1 Corinthians happened, and you would think after a letter like that, that all things are going to turn out well. The, the church responded beautifully, and, and everything's okay, and off to Ephesus we go. But we can't go to Ephesus yet. We can't go to the book of Acts yet, because we've got to deal with what Paul has to do now. Now, to understand the content and the beauty of 2 Corinthians as we make our way into that book and see what is going to come our way, we have to understand what happened prior to the writing of 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians is not the second letter Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. It is, in fact, the third letter he's writing to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians was the first. There is another letter and then 2 Corinthians. So here's how it plays out. Paul is in Ephesus. The church in Corinth is a giant mess. They send some people. The people take a letter with Timothy back and Paul corrects the mess. Word comes back that things are going okay. So he's like, yes, it's my morning talk, right? It went well. There's a sparkle in the eyes. I think they've got it. Then some Palestinian Jews travel up from Jerusalem and they travel up to Corinth. These guys, from our understanding of history and from the context of 2 Corinthians, these guys were traveling up to Corinth because they wanted to gain a following so that they would have support so they would make a living. Because it was completely common for people to travel and then speak at churches and then get an offering so that they could make a living. So they get to Corinth, and Corinth is an easy target, except for the fact that in Corinth, Paul seems to have a very, very strong authority there. And remember what Paul did in Corinth? He made tents, so he didn't receive any money from the church in Corinth. So this is not a great environment for them to play unless they do what? They start tearing Paul down, stirring things up, and they make themselves elevated so that the people will follow them instead of Paul. So the first letter's gone out. It went well. Timothy returned. They didn't kill him. All is well in the world until the Palestinian Jews begin to stir up the mess that's in Corinth. And once again, despite the first letter, things do not go well. So Paul decides while he's in Ephesus where God is opening incredible doors and unbelievable things are happening, but there is some opposition. Paul decides despite the fact that he shouldn't leave, he leaves Ephesus and goes and visits the people in Corinth. At this point, he's like, I sent the letter. It went well. Now these Jews are stirring things up. Now I got to come and I got to fix them. So Paul travels to Corinth. 
he gets to Corinth, and during that second visit, so the first time was when he planted the church. This is now his second time in Corinth. We find out that things did not go so well either. There was a lot of back and forth. Paul against the Palestinian Jews, the church of Corinth not knowing who to pick. Paul seems to have made some effort there and gained some ground. So Paul leaves that visit realizing the visit was a burden to him. It was difficult to him. He, he, is, he is hurt by that visit. And he gets back to Ephesus and he finds out that after the visit, things didn't continue to go well. They continued to get worse. The Palestinian Jews uh, began to stir things up tremendously during that time. And an incident occurred that we do not know what it is. It doesn't tell us in Scripture. It just tells us an incident occurred where Paul was absolutely deeply offended. So you know what Paul does? He takes Titus and he sends Titus to the church in Corinth with a what he calls in 2 Corinthians a severe letter. A severe letter. That's a beautiful word, isn't it? This isn't a previous letter. This is a severe letter. And he references that severe letter in 2 Corinthians going, I was grieved when I sent that severe letter. That's how bad that thing was. It was so bad that it's not included in Scripture. And the Holy Spirit went, I can't put that in there. Paul, I can't, I can't put that in there, man. I'm joking. The Holy Spirit didn't do that. But, but that letter, we don't know that letter. We don't see that letter because it is not part of the Scriptures. It was a letter sent from Paul to the Corinthians when he was hurt by what they had done. So he sends this incredibly severe letter that is supposed to shock them back into correction and supposed to make them just go, come on. In the meantime, he travels from Ephesus and he goes up to Troas and he goes up to Macedonia. He's in Macedonia, which is north of Corinth, but he doesn't go down to Corinth to visit them. He doesn't want to go to Corinth because after the second visit, that was a disaster. And then their response to that second visit. And then the severe letter that goes out with Titus, uh, he's just like, he's done. Like, I'm not even going to come visit you. And so Titus comes up to Macedonia and meets Paul in Macedonia and brings word that the second letter, that severe letter that took place, that it actually had great impact. That it kind of shocked them back into place. And they were like, yes, Paul is the man and the gospel is true and all is right in the world. And Paul is greatly encouraged by that. So you'd think we're good now, right? Eh, not so much. So guess who's still in Corinth? The Palestinian Jews are still there. And they're still vying for position. So they begin to stir things up so badly in Corinth that a list ends up appearing of all the things that Paul, uh, that, that brings Paul down. They actually get word to Paul uh, that this is what the people in Corinth are now believing about Paul that was stirred up by the Palestinian Jews. So let me just set your, uh, you, you right here quick in your mind, okay? Watch this. Paul has sent the first letter, went kind of well, then went badly, stirred up, got word, left Ephesus, visited them, tried to set things right, that went sort of well, went back, found out it didn't go well, sent a severe letter to try to make things right, that went well for a time, Titus came up and said it's going well, now he gets word after the severe letter that this is what the people of Corinth think of Paul, ready? Here's, here's a list of 20 things, listen to this. The people, the, the Palestinian Jews told them in Corinth, Paul has no commendation letters. You would carry around these letters to, to essentially say, I am who I say I am because they, they have signed and stamped these. And they said, Paul doesn't have any of those. Paul doesn't have any reason to tell you that he has any authority. 
They said that he lacked genuine evidence that he was an apostle. Forget the Damascus Road incident. Forget the fact that the other 12 had stepped alongside him and said, yes, this is an apostle. They, they said that he was inferior to the other 12 apostles. They, they even questioned his faith. They basically said Paul might not be a Christian. Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, might not actually know Jesus, right? Paul, who planted the church in Corinth. Paul, who brought the gospel, might not know Jesus. They, they actually said that about him. They said he seemed out of his mind. Now, Paul, I'm sure, was out of his mind. Have you ever been a parent when you've lectured the kids and you've done your thing and, they just, and then you go out of your mind, don't you? And, ah! and then they're like, who is that? So they're like, Paul is out of his mind. And he's like, yes, of course I am because you guys are driving me insane. Uh, they said that his letters were confusing and unhelpful. They said that his letters were combative. Well, hello, the severe letter was combative. Because they were acting like fools. But they said, look, it's combative. He doesn't care about you. They said that he was insincere and fake. They said that he flaunted his authority. That every time he would demonstrate authority, it was to flaunt his authority. They said that he restricted spiritual growth for the Corinthians. That he was inferior in knowledge. That he was an amateur in eloquence. That he was not an effective public speaker. That the gospel message that he carried was confusing and veiled that he actually, this is my favorite, that he insulted the people of Corinth by not accepting money when he spoke. How about that one? When Paul wouldn't take your money after he taught, that was an insult to you. He didn't want your money because your money's not good enough for him. Well, actually, Paul was making tents to save you money. And so that's, that, that, that was going around. He lacked genuine love. He was crafty and preyed on them for money. It's kind of crazy. He insults you by not taking your money, but he is crafty, and it's all a plan to take all your money. This was actually going around. He took advantage of them and therefore deeply wronged them. He was fickle because he kept changing his plans and the best one yet. His word was unreliable. In other words, he was a liar. So folks, understand, when we get to Paul sitting down to begin the letter of 2 Corinthians, that's everything he's dealt with so far. You with me? It has not gone well. These people have not treated him well. Their foolishness has not only been foolishness in Corinth, but it has per been personal to Paul. It has offended him. It has hurt him. It has stirred him up. He has written a severe letter. He now does not even want to visit them anymore because he's so stirred up by these guys. That is what we step into when Paul is about to pen the letter. I was thinking about how Paul might feel as he writes the first words of this letter. And, and this little scene came to mind. You might recognize it out of The Incredibles. It's a great little scene. And I think this is perhaps a little of how Paul felt right as he sat down to write this letter. Take a look at this scene. This is seven. That's fine. I mean, I can break through walls. I just can't. That's fine. Get this. <clears throat> so, Mr. Incredible, do you right. have a secret identity? Every superhero has a secret identity. I don't know a single one who doesn't. Who wants the pressure of being super all the time? No matter how many times you save the world, it always manages to get back in jeopardy again. I mean, sometimes I just want it to stay saved, you know, <laughs> for a little bit. I feel like the maid. I just cleaned up this mess. Can we keep it clean for, for 10 minutes? <laughs> hey, you get to that point. Wait, Please. don't get, don't get up. Uh, not finished. Uh, 
Yeah, that's exactly right, right? I mean, I just cleaned up this mess. Can't you keep it clean for 10 minutes? This is how I think Paul felt as he sits, sits down to write this letter. So let's take a look at how he begins the letter of 2 Corinthians so that we can begin to get a clue into where we're going to be traveling as we enter into this space and the beautiful content in this letter. Turn with me in your Bibles to page 666 if you are using one of our Bibles or 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 1 if you brought a smart device or you're carrying your own Bible. So Paul here writes these words as he opens the letter. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Do you see how Paul begins this letter with immediately establishing his authority? Not that is his own authority, but is the authority from God given to him for them. Paul, an apostle by the will of God. There he begins. Now, I understand when you're rolling into something with a group of people that have been misbehaving and are just totally out of, out of place, what do you begin with? You step in and you go, look, I'm the parent, you're the kid, right? Or I'm the boss, you're the team, or whatever it is. You step in and you establish authority. Why would you establish authority? Because you're about to come down, right? You're about to set some things right. Now watch this. To the church of God, that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. So he automatically writes this letter directly to the church in Corinth, but also understands the letter is going to get passed around to that region of whom the church in Corinth is supposed to be a leading church. Okay? So he's kind of telling the Corinthians, this letter is going to go around. So Everybody else is going to know what I wrote in this letter, and he's also saying, I'm going to write into this letter the beauty of a context for a broader space than just Corinth, which is really good for us. Then the next verse, verse 2. Seriously, seriously, have I not done enough? Have I not traveled enough? Have I not sent enough? Have I not sent Timothy and Titus? Have I not come? I don't even want to visit you anymore. See that? Well, no, actually, that's not what it says at all. See, that's what it should say. That's what it should say. Look, we can just be honest for a second. That's what it should say. That's what I would have written. That's what I would have written. Seriously? I mean, seriously. Did you not read the severe letter? That one was severe. This one might get worse. That's how I would roll. But this is how Paul starts. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's insane. That's insane. That shouldn't be there. That sentence shouldn't be there. Yeah, we go, well, it's the Bible. That's why. I don't care it's the Bible. Paul is like me. He's like you. He's a guy that was hurt by these crazy people, and he's mad at them. He doesn't even want to go visit them, and he starts his letter, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of an insane grace is this? Well, we start here. This is not Paul's grace. I want you to note that. He's not saying, grace and peace to you from me, your brother Paul. I don't think he has any grace nor wants any peace for these people. 
He's not sending grace and peace from Paul. He is sending grace and peace from God, from the Lord Jesus Christ. What is this grace from God? Well, this is the grace that Jesus spoke of when he was hanging out with Peter and the other guys before he was crucified, died, and rose from the dead. Remember when Peter came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, out of curiosity, somebody wrongs you, right? I mean, they misbehave, they go nuts, they wrong you. How many times should we forgive someone like that? Not, not, I mean, they don't wrong you once, they don't wrong you twice. Now, the standard in the Jewish culture was that you would, you would stand three times strong. So Peter thought he'd be a super apostle and he'd go like this, Jesus, Jesus, we're with you. How many times should we forgive someone? Let me guess. How about seven times, man? And he was waiting for Jesus to go, well, I was thinking five, but wow, seven, Pete, that's awesome, man. Let's go with seven because you're awesome. And this is what Jesus says. Peter, in my world, once I'm done doing what I am going to do for you, there will be such a wealth of grace available to the human race, that when somebody wrongs you, as I have been wronged by the human race, you don't forgive them seven times. You forgive them 70 times seven. He wasn't putting a number to it. He was just going, there, there is no bucket at the bottom of this grace that runs out. There is only a depth of grace that is beyond human imagination and expectation that you can tap into. And when you do, you will be able to live in a state of forgiveness regardless of what happens on this planet. It is that grace that Jesus told Peter about before he ever left that Paul is now offering to the church in Corinth. To you, my friends who have wronged me, to you, my friends who think these terrible things of me, to you, my friends who keep derailing every time I leave you alone, to you, my friends who have said ugly things about me, who have believed these crazy Palestinian Jews, uh, to you, my friends who have ignored the instruction I've given you, grace and peace to you from God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is offering them. He's offering them God's grace. But the big question that lingers for me is this. That's fantastic. I'm so glad Paul did that. I can't do that. Can you do that? I can't tap into that kind of grace. How do you tap into that kind of grace? How do you feel what Paul felt in the midst of this kind of stuff and start a letter that way? How do you begin? How do you lead with God's grace when you are hurt and you are in conflict and the people you have uh, exhausted yourself, spent yourself for, uh, don't seem to reciprocate at all? Well, Paul did it because Paul had his own story, didn't he? Do you remember Paul's story? Paul's story, Paul's story is a story full of grace, full of grace. See, Paul writes in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Romans, and multiple other places about the kind of person he was before God encountered his life. Paul was in pursuit of his own kingdom. Paul wanted to build something that would last for generations. He wanted to be the Pharisee of all Pharisees. He wanted to be the leader of the entire pack. He wanted to be the best theologian that ever walked the face of the earth, write the best uh, dissertations and the greatest books and be famous and known throughout the land as the greatest rabbi that had ever walked the planet. That's what Paul was in pursuit of. 
And in order to do that, as a young man on a career path, he saw this new thing emerge called uh, the way, or Christianity as we know it today. And he knew that if he could be the one that could squash this horrid rebellion that was against the institution of the Jewish people, that that would catapult him into fame. And so he started pursuing Christians, and he started pursuing them with a zeal. He says it. He, he wrote it. He would arrest them. He would have them murdered if he could. He was there when Stephen was stoned, the very first martyr uh, recorded in Scripture. And he was the one holding the coats and not throwing the stones, but going, I, I agree. You should definitely kill him. Paul went on hot pursuit to squash the work of God. And when Paul was encountered, or when Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, we all know what should have happened. It's just a reality, folks. Paul should have showed up on that road. Jesus showed up and said, Paul, you know who I am? Uh, no? <laughs> well, that's too bad, because you're about to find out. And Paul should have disintegrated like the witch in uh, the, uh, the little story with the red slippers. You know that one? I wanted to say Alice in Wonderland, but I ain't Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Thank you, it came to me. See, that's what should have happened, isn't it? Isn't that what should have happened? You guys are just getting it now, aren't you? Uh, that's what should have happened. But that's not what happened, is it? See, when, when, when Paul encountered Christ on the road, here's what Christ did and said. He said, Paul, what you are doing is not wise. It is not good and it is not right. You are displaying directly and tangibly active action toward me that makes you my enemy. And here's what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to blind you, rescue you, give you all of the wonder and potential I created into you, and then use you mightily for the redemptive story I wrote you into the story for. That was God's response to Paul. Paul writes over and over again, I am the worst of sinners. I am the chief among them. I, if anyone should have been abandoned by God, uh, killed by God, uh, thwarted by God, it should have been me. But he didn't do that. He, he came to me. He robbed me of my insanity. And he gave me instead a life of purpose and beauty. A life to which I now live. Paul gets to write scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit, despite who he was. And when you are a man or a woman that realizes who you were and what God has done for you, the magnitude of the grace he showed you, that changes the game completely. See, what Paul knew was that he was a recipient of a scandalous grace that he had no business being part of. That when God should have given up on him, God didn't. Of all the men that should have been given up on by God, this is that man. And God didn't give up on him. And so now Paul says, I have been given a grace beyond compare. And even though you will constantly come and attack me, even though you ought to be, my friends, you ought to be my greatest cheerleaders. I will offer you each day the same thing that was offered to me. Grace and peace to you from God, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul tapped into this by remembering constantly who he was and that God never gave up on him either, though God should have. Paul is starting this letter tangibly demonstrating to you and I how we ought to live our lives in the midst of very difficult conflict. That we 
when we are hurt, when we are attacked, when we are thwarted, when, we are, when our lives are disrupted by those around us behaving foolishly, whether it is a friend or a coworker or a spouse or a child or a parent or, or a sibling, it doesn't matter. When our lives are disrupted by the foolishness of those around us, that our response ought to be, God has shown me more grace than I will ever deserve. So grace and peace to you from God in the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to be our response. Now, let me just be very clear about something. This response of grace and peace, does it mean that we lay ourselves down as a doormat and say, look, you just, you just walk all over me. You just keep doing it. Just keep going. Just, just do your worst, and I, to love you, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay that you're doing that to me. No, 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 that's not true at all, because that's not what Paul did. See, Paul didn't do that. Paul was, Paul was extremely corrective to these people, was he not? Did you read 1 Corinthians? Were you here? Very corrective. He's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, you, you, this is foolish living, don't do it, but grace and peace to you. Paul also wasn't only corrective, but he actually went and visited them and got in it with them, right? He showed up and he said, uh, 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 this is not how it's going to work. I am not going to leave you here to continue to behave foolishly because that is not good for you, that is not good for the church, that is not good for me, that is not good for the gospel, that is not good for the glory of God. So my grace to you is that I'm going to step into your life when you are foolish and try as best I can to bring wisdom and correction. Best I can. I'll try to do it gently, but I'm going to do it. Paul wrote a severe letter to them. I mean, he was like, actually, like, okay, that's it. That's it! And he wrote this letter to them. So he did that. Paul set boundaries, didn't he? This second letter that he's writing, uh, the third letter that we know as 2 Corinthians, do you know why he's writing it? He actually says it in the letter. I'm writing this to you to prepare you so that when I come visit, you don't blow it again. That's what this letter is actually, in in its essence, it's like, I'm going to write you this one, and hopefully, this time when I come, you don't act as foolishly as you did last time. So he's writing a letter in preparation because he set a boundary. I'm not even going to come visit until you read this letter, until I get report back that you've read the letter, and all is well, because I'm not coming anymore. If if when I come, that's how I'm going to get treated, not coming. Now, still grace and peace to you, but with some good boundaries. So... Affecting grace and peace toward those who hurt us isn't being a doormat, isn't living without boundaries, isn't avoiding correction, isn't avoiding offending them, isn't avoiding being severe at times. What it is, what it is, is this, that you never, ever give up on them. You never, ever believe that they are so far gone that it is no longer redemptive that it is no longer possible of being redeemed. You never say, well, that's it. You know what? There is no hope left for you. That you will never see Paul do because God didn't do it for Paul. We step into one another's lives and we say, because God didn't give up on me, I won't give up on you. Now, sometimes I'm gonna be firm, hard, corrective. I'm gonna set boundaries and I'm not gonna let you do that stuff to me but grace and peace to you because my motive is always the same. It is not anger. It is not malice. It is not not, uh, dissension. It is your redemption and mine. 
And that's what we step into. That's what Paul is teaching us here. That our lives are to step in and say, grace and peace to you. From God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because grace and peace is mine. From God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul will write later on, ironically, to the church in Ephesus, which is where he is during all of these episodes. Listen to what he writes here. To the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the equation, uh, the, the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Isn't that beautiful? Now listen to this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I, I, I love the, another translation says, do not make the Holy Spirit sad. I love that. Do not make the Holy Spirit sad. Look at this. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. There it is, folks. There it is. This is the grace we get to live in, and it is the grace we get to live by, and it is the grace we get to offer others. Not our grace, because we have none to give. God's grace in us for others. And in God's grace, there and there alone, can we live as Paul did. And how do we stay in God's grace? By keeping our minds fixed on what he's done for us so that we live in the grace we've received, so that it is easy to affect that grace on those around us. What a beautiful start to what I think is going to be an exceptionally wondrous journey through the letter of 2 Corinthians. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you have used the men and women of Scripture to demonstrate so much to us, even as they are, in fact, working their way toward helping others in their context become more gospel-centric and gospel-obsessed, bringing you glory and expanding your kingdom. Thank you for Paul's exceptional example in this beautiful start to this second letter we will walk through, where despite the pain and struggle and personal attack that he has faced, he is able to say, grace to you and peace from God in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, may that be our lead every time. May we lead with grace and peace from God. And to do that, God, I pray that you would help us spend more energy and time remembering your great redemptive work and its direct impact on us so that we may never find ourselves lacking in our view of how much grace you've already given us so that we might be gracious to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.